are live. All right, wonderful. Uh, hello, welcome to episode two zero four. Uh, how are we? How how is everything over in the states, Adam, Craig, East Coast, Central Time? How's it treating you? How's everything going over there? That's just sums up, really, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's. I mean, I think we're a little jealous that you were able to go to a game and you also went to a game where uh, it wasn't a bleak performance. It was a, just a molly whopping of the opposition while we sat and, you know, watched NBC sports. But outside of that, I think good. So today's episode is just going to be you two sulking for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> Same as the Fulham episode. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was it was lovely uh, to get back. Um, been a long time coming. Obviously, uh, every time I scheduled to go back, it was either for a wedding, funeral, or something in between that happened to happen on a Saturday, or it was an international break. So the stars have finally aligned. Now I'm back to be able to just kind of go a lot more often. Uh, and yeah, I was just talking to Craig about it. I picked pretty much the best possible game I could have. I could have had. Um, but I was always quietly confident with picking West Ham because it felt like a bit of a like a trick one to get, didn't it? With the record that we had prior to yesterday, one six, no one five, drawn six, lost none in the Premier League. Uh, so it felt like we were in a good spot from the word go, didn't it? I'm just glad you didn't curse it. To be honest, I'm glad your appearance didn't suddenly signal a, a downturn in fortunes against what, what's the opposite of a banana peel. Like, that's what they are, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah I, w- I wondered if you would jinx it. I mean, it's like 11 games. It's like, it's a very Brighton thing, isn't it? But yeah, it wasn't to be, thankfully. No, what I did do is I did end the set piece curse, though. You're welcome, mm. everybody. Uh, I think that was about the 149th corner uh, <laughs> that we had taken without a goal. Um, and as we anticipated, it has come to an end. One of the shortest guys on the pitch chesting the ball in. Just what we expected from a corner. Just what we always <laughs> anticipated the way it would go. Not a dunk header. No, no, no. A little chest in at the back. Yes. And Alexis McAllister flick on, which everybody saw coming for Veltman to comfortably chest into an empty net because his defender was eight yards behind him at a corner. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Stephen in the chat. Uh, Jason Steele for England keeper. Um, and that's where we're going to start, really. Uh, let's talk about what that starting 11 looked like. Um, as close to full strength as you would hope to see, really. Uh, Mitoma starting, McAllister starting, Caicedo, Gross, March, Ferguson. Ferguson fully back and fit and ready to go. Uh, that back line, uh, Purvis back in the squad after being admitted uh, um, Tuesday. Um, I know Deserby did say it was a precaution, and clearly it was because he was back in the squad yesterday. Uh, Dunk Webster lining up. Uh, Webster, as we know, has been very hit and miss with his injuries. And then Tarek Lamptey on the right-hand side for all of 12 minutes. Uh, But the big talking point in that game uh, was the emergence of a new number one uh, at the ripe old age of 32. Suddenly, Jason Steele uh, has become the guy. Uh, for Deserby Ball. Um, we'll also take this time to talk a little bit about Deserby's post-match comments as well uh, with Deserby and uh, with Steele and Sanchez because it's pretty major stuff, really. Uh, so what what was the thought from you two when you saw... I'm assuming we were all pretty good with the lineup uh, until we looked at the number one in place. Shock? Surprise? 
was it like a thank God? Oh no. What what was the thought process from both of you two? Because I feel like when we were in the pub, I just heard a mixture of like all of the emotions around me when they saw it. Yeah, it was it was a surprise. I think we've we've spoke a couple of weeks at a time as to maybe the complacency of Robert Sanchez or not having significant competition to sort of drive us forward. And he's been fine in the cup. Do you know what I mean? Against championship opposition. So I think the surprise there was that he was starting in the league. And we 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 know our we know our form against West Ham and what the opposite of a banana pill is, as we said. And it was more surprise. I I think I was concerned as much. The only thing that would concern me is set pieces, but I think it was more, let's just trust the process and and see how this pans out. So surprise, but not genuine concern for me. I can't remember when it was we had this conversation, but we had the Sanchez conversation. It wasn't last time, maybe the time before. Um, And I basically said, he's become a liability and he should be I don't know there should be a lot of question marks around him and I'm so I was happy is the wrong word to use because I think you have to be conflicted because our expectations and hope for Sanchez is big there's been lots of conversation about are some of the top teams coming after him is he a next big thing once he gets a little bit more comfortable and, and gets rid of some of those sort of uh, errors and I'm, while I'm talking uh, the Liverpool have scored which completely ruins my FIFA ultimate team investment in Wehrkost. Um but you have to you can't have a player that is costing you points in the situation that we're in and Deserby clearly has thought the same thing and uh, again the importance of those comments after the game are going to be something we're going to have to hone in on because what what happens now because if Sanchez's confidence was low Okay, right, let's drop him, bring Steele in. Steele's not the future keeper of this club. He's a short-term switch around. Can you ever go back to Sanchez at this point? Or are we going to have a Matty Ryan situation on our hands? Um, So it's weird. I think it's pragmatic in the short term. I'm glad we've switched over. Steele's looked comfortable when he's played. He was comfortable yesterday. He didn't do anything wrong. But I do worry about what happens now after the season. That's That's the only thing. Yeah, uh, I was saying to someone, um, I think it was actually Mikey. I met Mikey yesterday. Mikey in the chat. Uh, he's not in the chat today, though. Apparently, he's gone up in someone's plane. A mate of his has just got his pilot's license, and he's just going up in his plane for his first ever flight. Much braver man than me being the first man to step into it. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like that's got You've got to be a real friend to trust someone on their first flight without someone instructing them. Um, but... Uh, I said to him, I felt like we've, um, for all of my love of Deserby, and, you know, he got just about everything right yesterday, clearly. Uh, everything went perfectly from the the very comfortable position he was up top. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I think he got that one horribly wrong. I wish he wouldn't have said it in the way he said it. I wish he wouldn't have done it in the way he did it because he's just knocked off about £10 million of Sanchez, hasn't he? Well, he might have done that himself if he's flapping around in the box every game. <laughs> So maybe it's 12 off now. I don't know. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm not sure how else you do it. I wonder how Potter would have gone about the problem in some ways, right? He probably either would have stuck with him and we know the situation Potter's in at the moment. Um, This is Deserby. This is the character of the man. He's going to call out situations as he sees them. The upside is um, (laughs) 
the football and what he's getting out of the players. I mean, uh, we will get onto the fact that we're having an absolutely astounding season and we're talking about things we've otherwise never talked about for this club. Downside being, he's going to piss some people off. Uh, and Trossard wasn't happy and he's gone. Um, we've had other examples of that. If you don't buy into it, if you're not his guy, you don't play the way he wants you to play, he is going to drop you and get rid of you. And yeah, Bobby Sanchez is the next man up, unfortunately. Yeah, and I, and I hope, I think I think we all do, is that this is just the, the kick up the arse that it sh- should be. But again, you, you are risking sort of harmony within the players or upsetting individuals. And let's just hope that, you know, this sort of team camaraderie that the Zerbies also built that we, we had previously because of Potter, no doubt. But I guess this sort of, this we one team one dream is is going to come through as opposed to sort of individual masterclasses um i guess you you have a tighter knit group with this goalkeeper union that that people talk about as well let's just let's hope that it's a uh, a kick up the arse and like you said in in the long term jason Steele isn't the answer um i think we all hope that sanchez is but um you you never know so interesting for sure um and well, didn't didn't disrupt us in any way yesterday anyway yeah not much work for Steele to do but the two the two saves he had to make he did um and looked very accomplished on the ball which is something that he hasn't looked at like being in previous games as he is that the ball with the ball at his feet that's where Sanchez has kind of reigned supreme and he has not been as good this year uh and Steele looked great yesterday he looked just fine um I will say at full time, the first person across to steal was Sanchez, um, which is one of those things that like you, you don't see unless you're there, which is like the extra little nice bonus we've got now where like I can go there occasionally and see these things going on. The first the first person to Jason Steele yesterday to, you know, probably presumably congratulating on dicking him 4-0 and a clean sheet uh, was, was Sanchez. Uh, he came over and, and gave him a big hug and they had a long conversation and he was the first man over. So Did he go uh, in for a handshake and miss it? <laughs> uh, yeah, he just dead-legged him on the way in. Um, no, I would, but, you know, Deserby says that everything's good off the field. Everyone's, like, happy. Obviously, Sanchez isn't happy, but he's, you know, he understands and he's well aware of what's going on. And clearly, he must be because... You know, there's been plenty of times where the goalkeepers' union hasn't been as united, uh, not just at our club, but across the league. You see it plenty of times. Um, so I was honestly really surprised and happy to see that. Um, Rich in the chat says that maybe we don't need to plan for the future in goal with still being 32. Um, I think that it's a good problem to have. Um, and I think that there is going to be a hell of a competition in that role come the summer. Uh, because we're going to have Steele, Sanchez, we're going to have Carl Rushworth coming back, who is just going insane uh, in League One, I believe it is. He's, I think he's won his like eighth man of the match for, for, the, for the team. I think he's at Lincoln. Um, yeah. I'm not. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's. They're obsessed with him. They think he's the best player that I've ever seen play for him in a long time. Um, you've also got Sherpin coming back from Vitesse, where he's playing regularly. Uh, and then you've got Tom McGill as well, who who is part of the squad and has been for a little while, who will probably be looking at that possible power vacuum and thinking he's going to want some of that. So that's five keepers already. Uh, three yeah. of them are under 21. And you Sanchez. James, James Beadle as well, who's at crew. So like this, the, the list keeps on going. It's a bit silly, to be honest. 
Yeah, yeah, there's going to be, uh, I think there's going to be, I mean, if you're a goalkeeper playing for Brighton right now, whether you're one of those sort of people on loan or whether you're Steel or, or anyone else, you're probably sitting there thinking, like, this is my place to win. Like, this is the spot to win. Like, there's five, six of us. Why not me? Um, well, my point to that would be, <laughs> if we make Europe, I don't want any of those players playing number one for us. I, I want a better goalkeeper. Um, it's it, having quantity is great, but we're starting to drift towards the quality area, um, and maybe one of those guys becomes that uh, because it's a bunch of young young goalkeepers. But as much as I like steel, is still is still the answer if you, if you go into you know european regular football but again you're gonna have more games right suddenly you're playing on what thursday nights you're playing on saturdays you've got the 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 cup competitions in england as well you're probably going to want to be able to rely on two to three keepers it's great about the quantity i just I i don't see the star in any of those yet but maybe that will change that's a again nice problem yeah, it's a it's a good problem. It's a very specific area to have six people that, are, that you're fighting for for two a match. So, you know, you know, I think you're right. There's if the European dream is alive, right? And I'm sure we'll get to that. Uh, is that you are going to need at least four four keepers at the club, and just to rotate between what would be now four or five different competitions you'd be playing in at the start. And so, yeah, it's, it's important. And that goes across the whole squad, let alone the, the goalkeeper area. And I think we have to bear that in mind. Yeah, I think that for the first time in my life, I've heard a manager say, we're playing three games in a week. I love it. Uh, with this heavy, when you're used to hearing Klopp or Wenger or just any of them really just like sobbing over the idea that their players have to play two games in a week. Uh, Deserby is delighted by it. It gives him a less chance to be pissed off about the game prior, I think, if it doesn't go so well, uh, considering the man is still living rent-free with Charlton, I think. Um, but that first half, let's talk first half, because uh, we had a couple of moments uh, in the game there. Unfortunately, Lamptey, who started really well for that first 12 minutes, goes down hurt um, pretty quickly. Uh, I did enjoy the tactical element of that manoeuvre, um, where he went off the pitch while Veltman, Veltman was warming up and he knew he wasn't going to be able to come back on. So Lamptey came back on and then promptly fell over again uh, to give Veltman the time to warm up and come straight on. Uh, I don't know if you heard it, but the West Ham fans were livid at the amount of time that Lamptey wasted to allow Veltman to come on. Um, they should have been thankful, but it could have been 6-0 if he hadn't have messed about. But So they should be thanking him <laughs> after the game. Yeah, in hindsight, they're probably thinking, thank God he wasted some time on the floor because uh, <laughs> it saved us being dicked harder. Um, good problem for, for us to have as well, though, at right back, right? Because obviously we've got Pascal Gross that is sometimes capable of playing there. We've got Veltman who came in yesterday and looked great and Lamptey, when he's not killing himself, uh, looked really good as well yesterday. Um I don't think there's too many concerns is there with Veltman slotting in there for, for the foreseeable with the way he's been playing uh, yesterday, especially. No, I mean, it's it doesn't seem like the injuries, like Deserve has already come out, said the Lamptey industry, industry, injury doesn't seem that bad, uh, which is, thank God, another three, six-month injury for him. I think that really would define his career, right, in a bad way. 
And suddenly I think we talk about what happens when Tarek Lamptey invariably leaves the club. And it, uh, he played at Stoke as well, right? Played left back for, for, for quite a while at Stoke. So having that versatility is going to be helpful. If we can start then balancing out where we've got an interchange between Lamptey and Veltman, right back and Gross. And then at left back, we've got Estupini and Lamptey can play there. Gross again played left back towards the end of the West Ham game, didn't he? So, I mean, it doesn't matter where Gross plays at this point. Then we start to make up for that lack of death by just lobbing in a player wherever. And I've, I I know we'll talk about the Stoke game, but there was a point in that game early on where Lamptey cut inside on his right and put in a really good cross for Buonanotte, but which nearly was a header through the keeper's legs for, for a first goal. Um, so there's there's benefit to having a sort of an inverted player on that on that left side that's right-footed. Yeah, it was a sh- obviously a shame about Lamptey. And like you said, I hope it's not too bad because otherwise it's when it when it rains, it pours for Tarek Lamptey when it comes to injuries, isn't it? So um, we just need to, hopefully he's good. If if that's uh, a short-term injury, that's not a problem. I think to, to that point, I think Veltman's more than astute to, to cover that role. And, and for me personally, it probably allows March to be a little bit more free on the right-hand side as well. So you, you kind of see more of March when Veltman's at the back just because he's so defensively solid. Uh, so, you know, there's there's those sort of decisions that you make, right? Is that if you have Lamptey, you're more attacking on that right-hand side and the left that we know and, and love. Nice. Veltman just brings that defensive ability and, and calmness that uh, versus Lamptey's erratic and explosive nature. Uh, it, it's nice to be able to switch those up and have those decisions. And you, you can tell why Dezobi's happy to have that. Yeah. Um, and yesterday, really... Veltman could have been as erratic as he wanted, couldn't he? Uh, because West Ham just <laughs> weren't at the races. Uh, they were appalling. Um, Hughes in the chat uh, asked us to give a shout out to the Toronto Hammers. A lot of close friends in that group. Uh, that's about as the best part of your weekend, I would imagine. Toronto Hammers being shouted out by a Brandon Albion podcast, isn't it? It's about the peak <laughs> of, your, of your weekend. Uh, um, Veltman is such an unsung hero. Uh, and then Caicedo's new deal. Uh, Rich, we are keep throwing out questions or talking points if you want to. We will get to the Caicedo new deal once we come towards the end of the game, I think. Uh, but we don't want to get onto that too soon because uh, we do have a lot of ground to cover. So uh, this first half, Lamptey comes off uh, and within about three minutes of, of Veltman coming on, um, prime deserve ball hit. Uh, I think you can hop on Twitter and just about every account known to man is retweeting this stuff. Uh, from what started from Jason Steele, uh, Dunkey and Webster just pinging it around the back, winding up uh, West Ham within about 14 minutes, uh, ended up in their box uh, and Mitoma winning a penalty from Jared Bowen just bundling into the back of him. Uh, just, I mean, I'm not sure what that challenge was in the first place, but uh, it was prime deservable, wasn't it? All the way from back to front. Uh, happy to play that slow, methodical pass, and then all of a sudden, two or three cutting passes forward, and you've gone from our box to theirs, and and won a crucial penalty. Yeah, and this is where uh, if a team lets us play like this, they are going to regret it, and I can't think of a more willing candidate than that West Ham team. And more, I guess, more broadly, I, I know we have a lot of recency bias, don't we? Especially when your memory's like mine, you can basically only remember the last three games at best. But have you? Do you remember a worse, like more downbeat, bleak side to, to perform at the Amex this year? I mean, you could 
could you argue that Liverpool team that came out and and when they were just completely not other races and I'm looking back maybe Leicester but they even scored two they were West Ham were so bad what were they like in person I'm genuinely interested because on the TV they they looked like a Div two side. I think we were t- we were actually talking about half time, and the lad next to me said he's not seen a worse team since Bournemouth. And I look <laughs> back on that one, and I think, yeah, Bournemouth were awful. It was one of those games that I remember us recording and saying we should have beat them by six, but this is a classic game where we draw or lose, just like we did against Fulham, but mm. we didn't. We turned the corner and we got the goal. Um, and then, I mean, I suppose you could also say Chelsea. Really, like we broke them. But that was also such a like a special occasion. Like, yeah, it's almost not applicable because it's got the asterisk on it of like absolute shit show from start to finish (laughs) with everything. So, yeah, it was it was bad. Uh, My missus turned to me at halftime and she was like, "Have they? Have they had the ball at all? Like, I I don't I don't feel like we have the ball this much when I watch it on the TV." I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, no, we don't. Like we've actually had 70% possession uh, at this point, um, but we've only got the one goal. Uh, Alexis McAllister, five and six now, penalty kicks. It's a good penalty, wasn't it? Uh, Ariola went the right way, but way too hard and too high for, for Ariola to get, to get anything on it. I mean, he's our, he's our set piece taker now, isn't he? I think when it comes to direct free kicks and penalties, I think... He's starting to look more assured. I think the first couple that he took, you know, sort of straight down the middle, looked a little bit nervy. But I think he's he sort of solidified himself as that taker now, and more than happy for that to happen. And um, you know, he's you know he's good at it. And I think yesterday was just him and his confidence and and being able to just dispatch those. Um, feel a lot more confident with our our penalties now. <laughs> there is a there was a period of time last year and maybe the last couple of years where we're kind of struggling in that department to dispatch them with a plum, as they say. So yeah, happy, happy for that. And I think Matoma's movement as well as the West Ham mistake for the penalty itself. I mean, it just, that 15 second period just sums up <laughs> the entire thing for me is just abject defending us being first to the ball and, and being able to dispatch. It's good penalty and, and basically just ran the, the rest of the game from there. There was a point fairly on in the game where Solly March got the ball down the right side and cut in and no West Ham defender pressed him. And he sort of, it seemed like he didn't understand what to do in that situation because he then just sort of walked forward and still no one really attempted to do anything. And eventually when he got into the box and he had a little crack at a shot, I think it ended up going, there was a corner out of it. But that summed up West Ham. It summed up those sides that when you don't want, when they don't want to play, like you either have to be so regimented and diligent where you can you can sit off, you can defend really deep, but you keep your structure really well. And when you need to press, you press, and then you step back into position. West Ham just didn't press, and they weren't organised. Like it was the worst combination possible. And you compare them to a willing side that really pushes us, and especially you saw this. And this is why it was nice for Steel, right? Uh, where Sanchez gets under pressure and he's, he starts to panic a bit and he's like, oh God, where's the ball going to end up? Is he actually going to get it to dunk or someone or not? There was none of that. What a nice game for Steele to step into where there was just absolutely nothing. But yeah, Alexis just smashed the ball in. Amazing, but I can't... Honestly, we could have put anyone out yesterday, I feel like, and it would have been a, a hammering, if you will. Yeah, uh, as it's tradition at this point. Um, it looked... Uh, and West Ham, you know, I, th- I thought they were going to be a little bit more of a problem than they were. That you know, Moyes was in the hot seat like 
in January. Uh, and they turned it around a little bit. They got a couple of wins in the FA Cup and against Everton, I think it was. Got a couple of draws uh, against some decent sides as well. Newcastle, Chelsea. They lost to Spurs and they lost to Manchester United. But I think because they are where they are, it you know it looks like, okay, well, we probably weren't expecting to beat them. And they absolutely battered Forest, who at the time were, I think, the best team in the league, technically, from January 1. Uh, they were the ones that were top of the form table from the new year. And it looked like they were turning a corner somewhat. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was abject. Uh, Forest home and Forest away are two different football clubs. So that yeah. is the only thing. Yeah. Um, and half time comes around and you think, let's just get another one as quickly as possible uh, so we don't leave it till late and they can pull a full on us. Uh, and we, we, well, we did exactly what we hoped we would do uh, because seven minutes into the second half, uh, Joel Veltman, as we were just saying, uh, scores our first corner from about 150 of them um, and with his chest, of all things. Um, and about four minutes, maybe not even four minutes, I think it was about 90 seconds later, we almost did it exactly the same thing again, didn't we? What what was going on with those set-piece defending as well? It just it ran through the entire team, didn't it? It was strange. I mean, that was that was the one I celebrated the most. I think we're, we're in we're in the pub we're in the pub watching it, and it's like, oh my god, like it's the second coming because this this never happens. So it yeah, it was it was strange. I think the defending is again abject. I think we can we can say that until the cows come home today. But it, you know, we'll take it. And I think Veltman's interview afterwards was saying that that was a, a genuine attempt to to peel off at the back post, which is which is fair. At least at least we're working on them. We don't work on them that hard, I, I assume. But it's it's something that we'll take and very nicely finished as well. He deserves that. I think it's missed the consistency there with Veltman as well. He deserves that goal, and I was very happy for him. But yeah, it was, it was just nice to see it, wasn't it? There's there's again like the the difference between this team and teams of past managers of past is when clubs come to the Amex and play like West Ham did, we just wouldn't capitalize on these situations and nothing would occur. And this is the difference in this team. And, and the difference being is not just one of those ones where it's like, Oh, let's go one or two nil up and we'll sit. It's like, no, we're going to go and really win this game. Uh, which is why we get to enjoy a bunch of goals being smashed in. Uh, but yeah, great for Veltman, West Ham, the theme of the day, just diabolically poor. And they gave up after that. It felt half of them were just wandering around. Uh, talking of taking £10 million off their price tag, Declan Rice has not done himself any favours. <laughs> was he playing? <laughs> you you would be forget. I've realised he was when he got himself a yellow card uh, after an hour. Um, was, about, was about as good as it got for him. Um, and they just, they just had a total meltdown, didn't they? Um, and from then on, it was one-way traffic anyway. But after that, every attack just looked like we could score goals. Um, and when you're looking like that and you're at home and you're 2-0 up and you're thinking, okay, like let's exert some pressure, but also, you know, be wary of any counterattacks so we don't come, you know, come undone. Um, you obviously expect the four substitutions to be made of Buonanotte, uh, Welbeck, Sarmiento, Alan Ciso, right? Like everybody expects four, four attackers, strikers being brought on uh, to just, instead of, you know, see out the game, let's just score as many more as possible. Whilst taking your left back off at the same time. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> just, it was a bit silly. I think after 2-0, it was sort of, 
they got a little bit downtrodden, like three yellow cards in the space of five minutes and just got a little bit annoyed. And then you're, you're sort of thinking, all oh, right, you know, the, the cliche 2-0 is the worst scoreline you can lead by, all that nonsense. But it never looked like that in, in any way. It was how many can we get here um, and and try and sort of force their hand. And after that, and I think we're, we're seeing it in the chat as well with Stephen, it's just, it, it felt like a bit of a training match after that because I, I feel West Ham completely down tools and, and we're just at sixes and sevens for the, for the rest of the game and they were just at the mercy and thankfully we managed to capitalise on it because <laughs> otherwise it would be a very brightened thing to do to let it go the other way. The uh, Not much more enjoyable watches for me than that third goal. Um, and it was just unbelievable football uh, and I'm trying to run it back here while I'm, I'm talking but I think it was we had a number of people involved Veltman played an amazing like ball through to Ferguson who takes this absurd touch where he sort of sort of a weird little trick he does was left foot under the right I think March has a little play about with the ball and inevitably it ends up at that back post with Matoma who I thought it was good I thought it had gone wide um, at first glance and somehow he squeezed it in at the back post but it was that well, again when you do we need the swear jar for the deserby ball comment but like it was pure deserby ball like quick move bam bam one touch passing through and your chance was there it all happened in the space of what felt like four or five seconds and it just killed them off like genuinely the the the, the issue with deserby having to like try and set up his airpods and cool down to the uh, you know the, the bench was was more trouble more challenging than West Ham's defence yeah and it, Pascal Gross continues to ex- exhibit why he continues to play for us week in week out uh, there are not many players that could have played the pass he did for Mitoma at that back post weighted with that precision just unbelievable like it's just unreal and then um, he goes to throw him back at left back <laughs> like, oh mate, you've just crossed in an incredible ball for the, the far back right post. Go and play left back for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and hitting Pascal just says okay and goes back there and just feeds uh, Sarmiento and Enzo down that side for the next 15 minutes, which just makes it even funnier. Um, the third goal was unbelievable. I think that was Stephen in the chat, as you were just saying, it felt exhibition-y in, in training game. It, that Harlem Globetrotters reference is about as good as it gets, really. Like, that is how it felt. Um, that third goal did feel like it was that FIFA Street stuff. It was just absurd. Um, Welbeck comes on. Uh, at this point, everyone's wanting a bit. Um, and I will say real quick, about one positive thing about West Ham. I felt bad for Ariola yesterday. I don't think he did anything wrong, really, for all four goals, which is rare to say that about a goalkeeper when they've conceded four. Um, but he pulled off a tremendous save to deny Enzo his first goal in the Premier League, didn't he? Oh, I think he's just at the mercy of his own defence, isn't he? I think you're, you're right, is that he couldn't really do anything. Um, I think he made a, a number of saves, like five five saves out of the out of the game, and that, that shows you how much we, we were dominating in that. But I, yeah, I agree with you. I, he was the one West Ham player that probably came out with any form of grace whatsoever, uh, even if you could uh, after a four 0 hammering. Yeah, I mean we we had we had nine shots on target, so he, he still did something. Um, yeah, I, I don't feel bad for him, but I could see how people make you feel bad I mean. for him. <laughs> yeah, uh, but meanwhile, I mean, speaking of 
going up 3-0 embarrassing another oh, team. I'm fairly annoyed about this, by the way, because <laughs> it, this is now, Liverpool have now gone one goal different higher than us and uh, it's going to be maybe more tricky for us to catch Liverpool for the for the European spots, which is a weird sentence to say. Um, but that's annoying. Of course, man, you couldn't do us any favours. Idiot team. The good news is, is that I think Newcastle may well be coming the other way. Uh, they just don't look great. They look almost like they've ran their race already in March. Um, I don't know if you saw much of that City game yesterday, but they just looked... They had some good opportunities, don't get me wrong, but they just looked tired. They, they just looked done. Um, well, their form's so horrib- horrible. Yeah. Oh, Toby's just brought that up in the chat. Yeah, just draw, 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 loss, loss in the last five. I think they, yep. they had an, they had an easy run at the start of the season. I think they've just run into a, a horrible fixture of games here. Um, I was looking at like the the other fourteen, that sort of Twitter account that that shows against sort of a baseline, and a, a lot of their points came against lower teams. And now they're playing people in the top half. And they are coming into a bad form, uh, a, a bad run. So I think it's it's sort of the season's balancing itself out for them. And I, I think you're starting to see where they actually probably are in terms of quality and where they're going to finish. Yeah. Uh, Danny Welbeck, with just a few minutes to go, uh, decided to get on the score sheet. And Cizo tried one, uh, was very, very close. Um, and Sarmiento yesterday was just full of it. I thought he was unbelievable yesterday. He's he's going to be some player, I think. Uh, the more he gets involved, he looked just incredible yesterday for the, for the cameo he had. Um, and Welbeck... Probably, as, as everybody expects, with all these youthful, exciting players to come on, uh, Danny Welbeck is the one who bags the fourth with an absolute lash into a bottom corner. Uh, and not, not much anyone can do about that, really. Buonanate with a really great pass into him. And I think he just took about two touches. I don't think he even looked up to see where he was. He just knew uh, and bashed it into the bottom corner. Um, and the route was complete. Uh, and at that point... I think the West Ham fans, I think there was about eight of them left opposite us. <laughs> and, uh, and it was just brutal for them. Um, and that capped it off, didn't it? The end of the game, full-time, 4-0. And just unbelievable performance. Tell you what, that wasn't a simple goal that he took. Uh, I know Danny Welbeck much maligned, but he took an absolutely gigantic like right duke to completely fool the central defenders, which... To be fair, it wasn't particularly hard yesterday. But he created that space for himself. And then there was pretty much the only way he could have beaten the keeper from that distance with that shot was it was a really nice combo of placement and power. Incredible goal from him. But he is capable of those things. We just obviously, we don't see it too much on a consistent basis. But it was exciting, the fact that you can bring on the crew that we can bring on, if it's fair to call them sort of a, a crew of skillers. Like Welbeck's got tricks up his sleeve always. And then... And Cisse, Buenanote and, and Sarmiento. Sarmiento, as you say, came on and he was like dancing out there um, with some of the stuff he was doing on the ball. Like, God, this is a treat to bring on these players. And that, again, deserves stuff, right? He's not just like, all right, let's, let's lock things up and bring on some sort of boring plug-the-gaps player or something. No, let's bring on someone that might try and meg someone on the wing and then like do some roulette. But that's, that's what I want to see. These guys are young too, aren't they? Like, and it's it's like the perfect game to bring those type of type of guys on. Like the the pressure's not there, and just having the ability to to go and do your thing. Um, that's something that you 
like i assume as a as an 18 19 year old coming off the bench you're you're three four nil up and in, in the premier league and you just go out and strike your stuff um that is obviously a, a very nice thing to have um i guess the devil's advocate and the other side of things is that if you're two nil down um you have to sort of trust these youngsters as well to go out there and make a difference so um it was a fairly easy cameo yesterday in the grand scheme of things is that you can come on and, and not have that pressure um but yeah i guess it remains to be seen in the course of the season we've got what 14 15 more games left um i think one of the things we have said is about sort of the the age or the average age of that substitutes bench and and whether we can rely on them to make a difference if the if the game isn't going our way and um, that would be my only reservation but i'm, I'm going to end it there because we just won four nil and uh seventh eight from the league so um there's no need for that negativity yeah <laughs> and when you especially when you look at the other side of the dugout uh and the substitution choice at 69 minutes and three nil down was of bonner off uh known scumbag uh, zuma um Never. I love that he was getting booed like hell still. I never want that to stop. <laughs> yeah, uh, it would. It was not great. Uh, my missus asked me why he was getting booed, and I told her that it was the guy who kicked the cat, and she was like, oh, if I'd have known, I'd have booed louder than everybody else. So he's just <laughs> universal. Um, <laughs> if, there's, if there's ever a thing to set people off. Um, let's talk players specifically. Um, who stood out to you yesterday in what was a performance that was just about as well-rounded as it gets? Um, let's just chat. Who, who do you want to stand out as your man of the match, your players that, that were really impressed? I don't, I don't know this. Well, this is uh, this is the problem I like, the one where you're like, oh, it could be a few players. Uh, Matoma again was just like, I mean, obviously went down for the penalty for the first one. His, his cutting inside and drifting into the middle has become ever more dangerous as well becoming less reliant on having to kind of beat someone on the wing is only going to benefit his game he was brought inside for one chance that we had and maybe even the for, for the part he had to play in the between the second and third goal but i'm going to go in ahead and give it to pascal gross versatility what he brought to the team everything he did with an honorable mention i'm not just naming all the players i promise uh, Evan Ferguson led the line really well, didn't he? And some of the touches he had, like he just he, the, creating the flow that we need in these kind of games. He's what a benefit. Imagine if we didn't have, imagine if it didn't happen. Imagine if this 18 year old came in, and it just wasn't it. What would we do? We'd be floundering right now. And that's says a lot. Yeah. I, I was going to bring up Ferguson. I thought he was very, very good. I think the third goal and, and his sort of link-up play and his little flick around the corner, opening up the space for everyone else, just allows everyone else to have an extra touch or two. And just the things he does off the ball, as well as on, um, he had a few chances, didn't go his way. And that's absolutely fine because he, he made space for everyone else and started creating. Um, holds the ball up well as well. If we do go long, it, it's just really good. And 18 years old is a bit of a joke, to be honest, a bit of a cheat code. Um I think well, and obligatory sort of. We'll, we'll talk about his contract later on as well. But I think just Caicedo has just set that level now, and I think he's he's back to his normal. I think he had a couple of shaky games um, when the whole January transfer window came out, um, but he another eight and a half, nine out of ten game from him yesterday. Nothing, nothing went by him. He just ran the game. Those sort of triangles you play as you play out from the back as well. Um, he's so key to the way that that works and, and how quickly we do that. 
just integral to that build-up play and those those transitions we we keep talking about. So very hard to pick just one player because it was just an amazing performance. But I think there's a, a shout out to a number of people in that attacking third as well. Uh, just take your pick. Yeah, it really was. Um, for me, I think it's going to be Caicedo uh, because for all of the excellence we had on that pitch, obviously this is the first time I've ever seen us play Premier League football. Uh, and you see things differently from the stands sometimes, don't you? Um, especially when you've not been for seven years, so you're kind of like soaking in every inch of it you can. Um, and we always talk about Caicedo being man of the match until proven otherwise at times. Um, the level of appreciation I have for him after watching him in real life has just somehow got higher. Uh, because when we're on the front foot, you don't see a lot of him um, because he's, you know, chilling in the midfield area. Um, just watching him in the flesh is just not the ground that dude covers, the reading, like the way he reads the game, how young he is to read the game in that way. Um, it just stood out to me yesterday. He stood out like head, head and shoulders above everybody else and everyone else was superb. So like for me, I was just like stunned. I was like, this guy is just, I've never seen anyone in a blue and white shirt look this good ever in my life. Do you, is it fair to say this week as a whole has been one of the most promising, better weeks in this club's history? When you combine the fact that we now have got to a point where we're one Grimsby Town win away from an FA Cup semi-final. We just spanked West Ham and we've got two games on pretty much most of the opposition to make up the ground for a push for Europe. And we just locked in a contract for our best player who still might leave, probably will leave, but a massive win for all sides there to maximise his value when he does leave and also make sure that everyone's like, no one's has jokes about him earning five quid a week anymore. I, what a week. If you think about it that way, what you can't ask for much more. Like Maybe you could have said maybe Robert Sanchez came back and played the game of his life. But outside of that, incredible stuff. Yeah, I mean, let's talk that Kaiseido contract. Uh, did we see that coming, Craig? Ed, Ed, did you, did you no. prophesize that one? <laughs> Absolutely not. And I think that a lot of people were just taken by surprise of it. And it's obviously a very welcome surprise. Um, but when you think about it, and I think before it happened, you, you sort of, it makes all of the sense in the world. Um, you keep the guy happy, the the company, well, <laughs> the, everyone sort of benefits. Um, even his weird agents benefit, I'm sure, from a little payday. Um, so, you know, everyone's happy there. The only people that aren't happy are probably their potential suitors <laughs> later on down the line because they know that they're just going to have to pay an even more of a premium now. So works for Caicedo, works for the club, works for dodgy agents. And it, it's just a, a win-win. And to have him nailed down, especially if you add the option to 2028, that's a big contract to buy out if you want him in the summer. Um, and you start thinking is, you know, if the European places are something that we're aiming for and, and we eventually achieve is that actually you could see him staying beyond the season because he he's, he's now you'd assume one of the, I guess, more well-played uh, or well-paid, sorry, um, players in at the club. And sort of, if you give him one more year and you give him that healthy contract and you say, look, if we get into Europe, stay a little longer, you can do even bigger and better things than, than you could have initially thought when you did join this club. And that's, that's one of the benefits of this as well. And, all, I'm not going to 
take all of the points away, but you start seeing those bigger players and those head and shoulders players that we've got start signing five, six year deals with us. You go, right, they're serious about building something here and, and the attraction to other players is going to be probably appreciated. I mean, in the last six months, we've just signed our double pivot to mm. lengthy new deals. Um, and I know that the idea is that people will probably come in and he will probably leave. But I think that conversation really does not to be too almost toxically optimistic. <laughs> but like when if we reach Europe, like I am sure that both of those have some football manager-esque nasty clauses for pay rises or bonuses if and when we make Europe. Um so say they're they're top of the earning charts right now, which is probably conjecture-wise somewhere around that 90 grand a week, right? Is the kind of guesswork that people reckon that they're at. You make Europe, I'm sure that they have a clause in there that will boost them further up the 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 level of payment, right? So let's say we're we're finally into six figures and starting to pay pay people six figures uh, a week, which is just mental, really, when you think about it. But say we get to that point. Um for players like Caicedo and Alexis McAllister, you, you've then got to start thinking, well, what's the difference between 130 grand a week and playing every single game in the Europa League or being paid 180 grand a week and sitting on the bench for 75% of the season uh, and watching Thomas Party do it in front of me? What There becomes a point in time where the money becomes slightly negligible uh, when you start earning the, into those six figures, um, unless Arsenal or, or whoever is good, or Bowley is going to come along and sign them to a 27 year deal where they're being paid half a million a week. Right. To me, I think that when you get to that level, you start being paid that sort of money for players as young as Kaiseido, the attraction may well be to spend another 12 months here and I'm not saying another three or four years, but another 12 months, absolutely, and sit there and get all that regular game time at 21, 22 and enjoy 120 grand a week. That's that's 10 grand per sibling and then 30 grand left for him. I, but, <laughs> by the way, Ollie's back at the wheel at Man U. Uh, it's really yeah, it's, it's absolutely soul star energy happening right now. Sorry, people listening to this Tuesday, Wednesday next week, just be like, yeah, we know. <laughs> um, yeah, I... I, I I want to believe that those things will play and I think they will, but you have to imagine that when this was signed and I was shocked, I know Craig, I think you put it in the WhatsApp channel the other day when, when the news came out, I, I thought it was just like a reference to something else until I read it proper. I didn't, I was like, why you signed a contract, but looking back with hindsight now makes sense, right? Everyone sort, sort of wins on our side for this. Um, but the the problem with keeping him beyond, I think you may be, uh, your points are absolutely valid with keeping him for an extra season. Uh, if we if we do make that push, all you've got to do is you point to Basuma and you say, this is the ghost of Christmas future for you. If you leave and you and you take that, you take that step. Basuma was the guy and we we're referencing Kaiseido. We we're like, he was you. He was the our talisman. He was the guy that sat there in front of the defence he was number one. He took he took the cheese to go elsewhere, and now look at him. He's not getting much game time at all. Spurs, who knows what kind of football team they are at the moment. Um, maybe that move will make sense in a couple of years. But right now, I think if you offer Basuma the chance to have stayed an extra year at Brighton with an extra few coins in his pocket, he would have taken it, especially if that was European football that he was playing in and starting and playing 90 minutes a game for. Longer term, no shot just because we've just 
as much as we like to, we, we got to be biased. We are biased. Um, there's players grow up with shirts on their wall for these clubs and they're not Brighton shirts, unfortunately. And we can't compete with that. And until that changes, they will always leave always. Um, but hopefully we keep them for as long as possible. And, and this contract means that we maximize the, the money that we get when he does go. Yeah. 100%. I mean, you've got players that are dreaming of playing at Stamford bridge, right? Like that's the, <laughs> that's, that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Ever since he drove past it the year before, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, what you say is obviously absolutely spot on, ain't it? Like, you, you, you can be Manchester United and you're still going to lose out to Real Madrid. You can be Real Madrid and you're still going to get beat out by PSG when it comes to the amount of money or just a new challenge and stuff like that, right? Like, no one's untouchable in this business. You're always going to have someone bigger and better, be it a change in scenery or just a almost a legal amount of money being sent your way. So I don't think anyone's, I hope no one's thinking that we could almost have like a four year dynasty in that midfield. Cause that's never going to happen. Uh, we will be looking back in 2026, probably in wistfully looking at Alexis and Moses playing elsewhere. Uh, but I, I do think another 12 months for both of them is genuinely reasonable if we make that Europe. And yeah, I'm just going to say it very quietly. If we go further in the FA Cup and, God forbid, do the unthinkable at that point. Lose to Grimsby. Yes. <laughs> uh, that, I mean, at that point, though, like, genuinely, like, you've got a potential of a silverware still in March. You've got European competitions on the horizon in March. We are two points away from safety. Stephen, Stephen Mitchell in the chat. Not talking about relegation. Still two points to go, Stephen. We're not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> don't count those uh, chickens and, no <laughs> and a really nice set of couple of couple of fixtures to come no they Leeds next Manchester United who aren't looking aren't looking full of beans today um, and then Palace as well right we've got I think that's the next three in one order or another um, the sky's the limit is, Man, is Man United happening when it, I don't even know when Man United is Sure about that? Has that been postponed? I think yeah, it's, it's postponed for Grimsby, wasn't it? Yeah, it's been th- thrown in the yeah. sea somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Leeds, Palace, Grimsby, Brentford, Bournemouth. I mean, Take, it's not a bad set of games, is it? Yes. Yeah, so who's who of where I don't want to go? <laughs> but I like to I mean, play them. Leeds look yeah. bad. Um, Leeds look terrible. Uh, that Stoke game, you watched it? Mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't really want to talk I, about I it. I had too much. one eye on it and one eye on my the thing that pays me money, unfortunately, which was a bit annoying. Uh, but <laughs> well, I thought they looked better than West Ham. Well, that's not hard. Uh, but yeah, they, they did. Right, and I, there was a couple of things that at least I took away from it. Is was firstly we can't just coast with Grimsby. Uh, and I know this is how these stupid giant killings happen. And with Southampton were their recent victims. I know the stats were just ridiculous in terms of in Southampton's favour and it was a complete smash and grab. But, I mean, we played Fulham, what, two weeks ago and we've seen we've seen that. Uh, so it's possible. So I don't want us to drop because there were a couple of chances where Stoke could have absolutely scored probably twice um, and we got away with it. Lewis Dunk played a Jekyll and Hyde game whereby he suddenly looked 
realistically like sort of a league one league two defender for a lot of it uh he was completely out of position for one chance that they had horrible passing and then he threads a laser through for us to sort of ultimately score um i think was it to go through to matoma i think of memory serves mm. me correctly and then over to ferguson incredible ball prior to that you were like don't be playing he was awful so yeah that's the the, the big takeaways for me i think Caicedo seemed to be fairly impressive in that one as well though not not amazing from anyone realistically was it no yeah it was it was one of those games i think and anyone sort of taking liberties with the the grimsby tie and you know like you said stoke could have scored a couple of times we have been smashing grabs before so we have to take that as seriously as any other game um but yeah, the, the Stoke one was largely one to miss, probably. I think just one bit of quality just gave us the goal and we we, we saw it out, thankfully. Um, and now we, we move on to the next round. But yeah, we, some of the, we sort of played to, I don't, there's no disrespect to Stoke because they played a very good game, but sort of we, we played to a championship level, didn't we? And and sort of went toe-to-toe with them. Um, and like I said, that's completely no disrespect whatsoever. Um, but we, we should be playing better than that and we should be doing better than that. And, and thankfully we made it through anyway, um, which in turn is a good level of character that we, we largely haven't been too enamoured with in the past. Yeah, Stoke have been pre-scoring though lately. Five this week they scored. Away at Sunderland. I saw, that was, uh, I saw that was a bit of an anomaly, wasn't it? I think They, they battered Huddersfield 3-0 the other week. They battered Swansea 3-1 as well. They've uh, In just the last couple of games, they've, they've been scoring a lot of goals. Um, and you can yeah. see why, if, they, if they're oh, playing with yeah. that high press that caused us trouble. You can see why they're, they're causing all sorts of issues for, for teams in that mid-table championship level. It must be a nightmare to deal with uh, if they're able to operate at that level for the most part throughout. Um, mm. it's it's not great. Uh, I imagine that I know it's I know this will come back to bite me, and someone will record this and send it to me in a couple of weeks. But I think we're going to batter Grimsby, uh, and I think I don't think batter the be, fish. Yes, yes, <laughs> and I tell you why I think we are, um, and I think it's precisely because we're not going to do what everyone, all the Grimsby fans are talking about, and underestimating them. This is going to be for Deserby the Charlton redemption game. Yeah, yeah, Charlton is a blessing. And I, I, that's why I, there, there is no disrespect to Grimsby at all whatsoever. This is not because of them. <laughs> this, they are just an unfortunate casualty uh, in the in the route to getting that Charlton redemption. I think, um, and I think they're going to get absolutely hammered. Um, I really do. I think. I think it's going to be. I think we're going to be the villains. Uh, I think everyone's going to think we're right, dickheads, for beating the shit out of them. Um, but I think we will. And I think it's all going to stem from that game at Christmas that is still just not over it. You guys have been very uh, nice by saying no disrespect for both Stoke and Grimsby. No, I mean intent and disrespect. <laughs> We're way better than they are and we should smash them. Uh, it's like as simple as that. Uh, and I think, yeah, hope, what is happening in this game? Uh, yeah, so hopefully we completely demolish them and we should. And I'm more... This is bad, but my eyes are more on can we get the luck to face either Sheffield United or Blackburn, right? Because I don't, to be honest, looking at it right now, I'd happily face Man United in the next round. But uh, I, please give us <laughs> give us Sheffield United or Blackburn Rovers and that. Imagine that. Imagine that. If, if, if your pathway is Stoke, Grimsby and 
Sheffield United to get to the final. I mean, and and then anything goes, right? Are, are there again? I'm I'm as dumb as anything, but are there European implications of winning the FA Cup? Don't it lobs you in the Europa League, doesn't it? Yeah, if you win it, yeah, yeah. If but, you win it, you're in the Europa League. But then if uh, if if we come up against City or United in the correct. final, then that place would go to us if they're in the top four. I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay, yeah, that could be intriguing, couldn't it? Because I believe that there was a point in time last year or the year before with this Conference League stuff where they were looking at eighth place being a European spot as well because you had two Champions League teams playing in the final, which then meant that you were then going to like bounce down again. Mm. Like It was all just going to filter down um, because if one of them won it, you couldn't get the Europeans, so it's all going to go like weird. I didn't really, I still don't understand it the way it all works, but yes, I mean, I think we could be, we could be sat there at Wembley final day, knowing that we've got a European tour on the way regardless, but big shout out to the FA uh, and a big V at them because the (laughs) FA Cup final is in June this year, which is just feels like a disgrace, doesn't it? Uh, Why? When does the season finish? I'm not sure. When uh, and the 28th of May is our 28th. last game at Villa Park. Oh, okay. That's... Yeah, June the 3rd is, uh, I think, is Oof. our FA Cup final day, if we were to make it that far. Horrible. Yeah. Just feels unnatural. <laughs> it's the damn World Cup. Isn't it normally like a month, full month before? I think it is, yeah. No, it's usually the week before the Champions League final. And the Champions League final is usually the last week of May. So it's usually like that May 18th um, day. Because it's mm. a, it's almost always the same weekend as my wife's birthday on May the 18th. Almost always. So we're talking three weeks, two, three weeks. That wouldn't help me because I barely remember my wife's birthday. But yeah, okay, that's helpful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's easy to remember when it's FA Cup final. Yeah, true. Yeah. This could, you're good. yeah, you should tell her ahead of time she's getting a gift in June this year <laughs> it's belated full on plausible deniability yeah we're going to London <laughs> uh, I think that just about covers everything really doesn't it um, do we have anything else that we want to chat about between now and then uh, obviously Leeds next weekend at Ellen Road uh, who are not great uh, they're not looking particularly troublesome uh, for most teams uh, even Chelsea uh, in their current state, were able to dispatch them yesterday. Uh, their form is just horrendous. Even after firing Ted Lasso, um, it's not got any better. Um, Fulham cruised past them in the FA Cup. Chelsea beat them. They, I mean, they beat Leeds, uh, Southampton, which is no. That does, can't count, really. No, it doesn't. Uh, and then they just keep losing beyond that. Um, so... so it really should be a game that we should be expecting to uh, to come in and take as many points as possible from, no? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they have an outside of the Southampton game, which again, doesn't count um, because you, you lose to Grimsby, that sums you up as well, doesn't it? Uh, they, I don't think they've won a game since November at home to Bournemouth. Jesus. Fifth, by the way, 5th of November. <laughs> So they haven't won a game since Guy Fawkes night. If you if you rule out if you rule out the Southampton game, which you know we should, 
yeah, you've got to smash them, really, haven't you? Uh, I don't like playing Leeds, especially because I don't really understand what this version of Leeds does or is. It was always easy to understand Pios. It was it was easy to understand Lasso's game plan, which was just sort of semi-chaos. Um, a lot of energy, but not a lot of end product. And now I don't know what they are, sort of an amalgamation of those couple of things, maybe a, bit, a little bit more organised. So we'll see, but you have to, I would love to just smash them and then push them close to the relegation zone. Yeah, that was that was the one thing I was going to bring up is how tight that bottom eight is now um, in in the Premier League, and just again thankful that we're not part of it um, because I, I'm sure that is going to be very hectic in the last 13 games of the season. You're talking from 12 down, you've got six points in it, um, a lot of negative goal difference. There's a there's a lot of ambiguity there in that bottom eight, and I'm I'm very glad we're not part of it at all. Tell you who is Palace. Mm-hmm. On the they're they're on the cusp, but not not obviously. But their form is just speak of bad form. Palace's form is just heinous. But there's there's gonna there's potentially gonna be two storied clubs that go down this year. Uh, big big prospects that end up in the championship. If West Ham play like that on a regular basis, they're they're going to be very close towards the end of the end of the season. And I don't you, know how they have still have Moyes in play. Like you have to, you have to get rid of him. If not, you're just going to bleed out, like you say. Yeah. Yep. Hey, it's, it's not us. It's, no, no, it's not. Uh, it is not. Two, um, two, more, two more points. <laughs> those two more points. Javi uh, Garcia, uh, the the fella who's took over. Um, we are, I believe, we are currently one-one drawn, one lost, one uh, against him at Watford. Uh, he beat us under Hutton, and then he was in charge where we absolutely battered them three 0 that first game of the season, uh, and we drew with them under Hutton as well. And that was the year that they finished eighth and went to the cup. So even even under Hutton's worst season with us uh, and his best season probably in his entire managerial career. He still couldn't do the double over us uh, and then got promptly battered by Potter's first game in charge where Jürgen Lukaidia scored a goal. Uh, so <laughs> we're, if there's anything to, to suggest there uh, that he's going to be too much trouble, um, I, I'm not entirely sure I'd be too worried about playing whatever his fully realised version of Leeds would be, let alone whatever this half, half-baked half one is. I like the idea that he's semi-basing a game plan on the Hutton games. Because you imagine sort of, <laughs> the, the opposite of the Hutton performances would would be what the Zerbis just created against West Ham. So that'd be that'd be fun to see how that would work out. But yeah, he just looks at the lineup and sees like Solly March, Lewis Dunk, and he's like, I've got it. I know probably the same. Yeah, yeah. Just dig out those files from years ago. Let's do it. Just a quick question because I know everyone probably watching this. Uh, is it, are Liverpool winning six nil. <laughs> Jesus, I'm, I'm thirty seconds behind, but it's uh. Yeah, sorry to break the news to you, but yeah, that. that. <laughs> what is this? Oh no! Tell you what, you, we're talking about the bottom of the table. I know. Again, we have to reset some of our expectations based on protecting our own mentalities, but we are in the mix with in the mix with these clubs. Uh, Liverpool have, after this game, played twenty five games. We've only played twenty three. They're four points ahead of us, and now, annoyingly, have gone three goals clear on goal difference, but. It tells you what what the hell are Man United as a team? What on earth are they after this game? What are Spurs? Uh, Liverpool have had just 
a balmy back and forth season. Now they seem to be finding their form, but we still don't really know what they are. We talked about Newcastle being, have they gone off the boil? Fulham, we know the proposition. I'm going to say this, we're a better team than Fulham and we got screwed over in that game. And then you have to look at Brentford and, and then you're laughing at Chelsea further down. So point being is that who knows what is going to happen for the remainder of this season when you look at these clubs, because not even the clubs know what they are. But the only side that can safely look at themselves, quite honestly, at the moment and understand what they are is probably, honestly, Arsenal at one end because they seem to be defying all odds. And then you look at the other end and say, well, the sides that know what they are, which is probably Southampton and Bournemouth, like they know they're crap. Everyone else, I don't know. I feel like some days we could finish fourth, some days we could finish ninth. Depends what happens. Yeah, two big games for Fulham coming up too, ain't there? You've got Brentford tomorrow and then Arsenal after that. Yeah, Brentford game's massive. Massive, considering we're currently sandwiched between them. It is It is outrageous that we're in this mix though, isn't it? And I think that's sort of, it's something that we're talking about and we, we play a game like we did yesterday. Uh, and then you start looking up the table in this respect and... I think there's been a lot of external plaudits, you know, outside of this Brighton bubble that we that we live in, and just the appreciation and what we're doing, and I guess the the hysteria around what we're trying to do and and how we're doing it. I feel like those plaudits are coming in very thick and fast, and obviously deserved in in what what that club is doing and and how we play. Um, but there's a lot more eyes on us now as to where we're going. I think that the, the the pessimism in me says, let's just take this one game at a time. But you start seeing these sort of Twitter threads and all of this lark just around just how good we are um, in compared to other teams. And it's pretty astounding, to be honest. And it's uh, I think we, we say this every week, but it, it feels pretty good to be a Brighton fan right now. And I mean, this you've also got to think it's just going to be a battle of wills almost at the end, too. We've got seven games on the schedule for April disregarding what a, what an FA Cup progress looks like, seven. I mean, there's going to be a lot of lot of decisions made uh, very quickly. I mean, even just after this week, we've got the week off, obviously, and then you've got Leeds, and then we're making up the Palace game midweek, and then you've got the, the Grimsby game, uh, and then you've got, you know, then you, it's, that's the international break, I think, and then you, all of a sudden, it's the 1st of April, and you've got seven to play. Uh I mean, and you've not even got Manchester United rearranged yet because they've been postponed as well. That's, that's got to be April, hasn't it? And then, and then if we make it through Grimsby, no, and Manchester United and Man City get through, that's another postponement for one of them because Man City are always or still to be played at home as well. So, so. I sort of uh, we had uh, Dagan on as a guest earlier. I can't. I'm trying to think when this was. Uh, who became a Brighton fan, if you guys remember, for long-term listeners. I think he created a spreadsheet and ended up as a Brighton fan in the US. Uh, he was messaging me yesterday just about stuff because I think he came on and we, he was talking about the data and the stats were showing there's no reason why we couldn't be fighting for Europe, like big European positions. And I think I might have laughed at him. Uh, <laughs> and... the. <laughs> Look, it's too soon to say that, right? We could be talking towards the end of the season and say, I can't believe we ended up in 10th. Like, how did that play out? It's so annoying. But the fact that we're realistically in March discussing the plausibility of us finishing in a, a, a European competition, not not just the worst, <laughs> like we could be in one of them. 
Like it's just monumentally mad, uh, and I'm here for it. It's seven. Excuse yeah, our, me. Our, our podcast listeners are going to be <laughs> very confused about this. But my wife just messaged me on WhatsApp, and it's just like they've scored seven. Oh, they have as well. Yeah, there's supposedly I saw the thing flash up that Man United have never lost six by six. So they've certainly never lost by they seven. They still haven't. They still haven't <laughs> lost six. They come back some. <laughs> Technically correct. Uh, so, so, all right. Uh, I think we're, we're in a good spot to, to finish off uh, the show. We will be back, obviously, next weekend for Leeds review. Um, and then, it, I mean, it'll all become... Um, pretty thick and fast after that. We've just talked about how brutal April is going to be. So uh, we'll see you through to the end of March. Uh, definitely have a midweek one for the Palace game. Uh, and then we'll be covering Grimsby at the weekend. Um, and then we'll enjoy ourselves an international break, get plenty of sleep uh, because we're going to be, you're going to be hearing so much of us. You'll be sick of hearing our voices uh, come the end of April uh, because we're going to be like about, uh, well, we might be at our 300th episode by then, I think. <laughs> <laughs> More fun to come. One last minor thing, just a funny thing, just in case on the off chance we catch them at some point. Man United are what clear of us by nine points. We've got two games in hand. They started off 85 minutes ago with a goal difference of uh, plus 14, same as us. <laughs> now seven. So if it comes down to goal difference, guys, we might have them. Anyway, we'll speak to you after the Leeds game. Stay safe, people. Cheers. Cheers.